Good morning. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas. The topic for us this morning as we're working through Proverbs is the topic of decision-making, which can be quite challenging for all of us. We, knew, we know we need help. For some of us, it's challenging because we're impulsive. We see what we want. It seems right to us, so we grab it ask questions later and we find ourselves making bad decisions, going down destructive paths, or maybe our decisions are all right, but our loved ones often say they feel hurt or unheard by our inconsiderate, hasty impulsiveness. But others of us, we struggle more being indecisive and anxious. We live in an age of unlimited open options. The internet has opened up the world to us for dating and jobs. We can work remotely from anywhere in the world. Our restaurants have menus that look like small novels. In many ways, unlimited open options is a good thing. It's power. It's the freedom to choose. We get mad when others take away our options. They're limiting our power, our freedom to choose. We want to stand at the top of the hill with all the open paths around us able to go anywhere we want. The problem is that while our options might seem unlimited, we ourselves are not. We are a single human and we must choose one path at a time. But to choose one is to give up the others, to leave our place of power at the top of the hill. So we find ourselves anxiously indecisive, enslaved to the top of a hill, scared of messing up, scared of missing out. So the topic this morning is wisdom for decision making. If you're looking for the seminar on how to make perfect, results-based, guilt-free decisions every time, you've come to the wrong TED talk. Because this isn't a TED talk, it's a sermon from God's word regarding wisdom for decision making. I'll remind you that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The awe-filled reverence of the rightful one at the top of the hill, who alone is free to choose. It is when we fear him and follow him, who is himself wisdom, that we find ourselves walking in the ways of wisdom. So we'll pray together, and I'll read our text. The text is going to be Proverbs 16:9, but I'm going to start earlier. Actually, at the end of, of chapter 15, a little bit of an introduction to, to 16, 1 through 9, but I'll be preaching from 16, 9 primarily. So let's pray together. Bountiful Lord, loving Father, the unfolding of your words gives light, imparts understanding to the simple. Turn to us and be gracious to us, as is your way with those who love your name. Help us sit at the feet of the one thing needed, beholding wondrous things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Starting in Proverbs 15, verse 30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. 
Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Our big idea this morning is that the heart makes its plans, the Lord makes them stand. And therefore, a wise decision is humbly cooperative, humbly considerate, humbly committed. We'll be looking at Proverbs 16.9 as a whole, and then the first part, and then the second part. So looking first, Proverbs 16.9 as a whole, to understand how God has designed decision-making to work. This proverb shows us that both humans and the Lord are involved. Humans make plans, and yet the Lord is credited for the end results of any plans that stand. Within the beautiful and mysterious doctrine of God's providence exists the truth that God is sovereign over all things, and the truth that humans are responsible for their decisions in life. These seem to contradict, and yet God tells us that they both exist. They are cooperative. They are concurrent. We live in Dayton. It's an area known for its five rivers that come together. And while these rivers flow separately, they ultimately come together to form one river with one current. They are concurrent. They are cooperative in the end. The Lord, of course, is the ultimate decider. But he has decided that humans get to decide. He has made life with its boundaries and its nature and his plan is for humans to make plans with their lives. So imagine with me, God creates a man and a woman. He places them in a garden full of food and says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden except for this one. For if you eat of it, you will surely die. As God also told them his will for their lives. What should you do with your life? You should multiply. Multiply your bodies and multiply the garden. Fill the earth with the goodness of God. Have dominion over your bodies and creation. Don't become enslaved to your flesh and creation, but go, multiply. Fill the earth. Imagine this man and this woman standing in the middle of this garden with God, spinning around. 360 degrees of earth 
to fill. For the sake of making this tangible, let's imagine there's 360 doors around the outside of the garden with 360 trees inside the garden. Which door should we go through? Which tree should we eat from first? What is God's answer to these questions? You decide. He's given his instructions. Now you get to make plans. But we don't get to decide everything. We don't get to decide how life works. We get to decide what to do with ours. We do not get to decide what is possible or permissible or pursuable in life. In his providential guidance, God has put boundaries on what is possible in our life. We do not get to decide the laws of nature or physics. We don't get to decide when we live or where we are born or what people exist around us. We cannot choose to marry a person who died 200 years ago. And we cannot choose to work for a company that doesn't exist yet. Despite the internet's attempt to make us all-knowing and all-powerful, we are actually bound by space and time to the choices that God providentially is providing us with. You do not have infinite possibilities. We do have more options than at any point in history, and yet they are still providentially curated by the Lord. We also don't get to choose what is permissible in life. What is the very nature of human life? What causes death? For humans, it is appointed to live once and then comes judgment. God says that sin leads to death. And he has said that these things in the Bible are sin. We don't get to decide what is sin and what is not sin. We don't get to judge ourselves or others. God says the forbidden fruit will surely lead to death. We are not free to choose to eat the fruit and still live. But we are free to choose whether we eat it or not. We also do not get to decide what is pursuable in life, what is worthy and wise. We do not get to choose what moth and rust will destroy and which treasures will last forever. We do not get to choose what causes life to flourish and thrive. A plant cannot choose to feed itself with motor oil instead of water and thrive and live. Neither do humans get to decide what is the source of life and happiness. This is the wisdom and will of God. God has decided how life works. God has decided the nature and boundaries of your life, but you get to decide what to do with your life. And so we should listen to God. He's the author of life. If he says something is clearly sinful, we should not do it. If he commands us to do it, we should do it. That's a great first step. Avoid what God says leads to death. Sometimes we say it's not a sin issue, therefore it's a wisdom issue, which can be a good distinction. But a wisdom issue doesn't mean we do whatever we want. It means I tremble before the God of life and want to walk in his ways that give life. The Apostle Paul says multiple times in the New Testament, his letter to the Corinthians that, that all things are lawful for him in this issue, but not all things are helpful, not all things are useful for building up others, for loving God and loving others. We ought to have a better vision for life than simply not sinning. We ought to want to live and grow, not to get as close to sin as we can, but get as close to the source of life as we can. In Proverbs, wisdom is all about life and death far more than we want to think. The book of Proverbs is big on this, so Proverbs 21, 21, 
It says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Proverbs 24 says, whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. All of our future decisions are downstream from what we are pursuing today in our hearts. God is more concerned with how we live and what we love than where we are and what we're doing. Many of us know this, and that's great, and we are trying. We know that the big thing in life is for us to glorify God, and we find ourselves on the verge of big decisions asking, how do I glorify God? And it can feel like a, a big, meaningful question because it is. And it can feel like it must involve a mystical, complicated answer, but actually, actually many of the kids in this room probably know the answer because it's in the New City Catechism. Question six, how can we glorify God? The full answer is, is we glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, by obeying His will, commands, and law. That's a good summary of what the Bible teaches. It's pretty simple, but we might wonder, what is the will of God? It says we must obey the will of God. I came across... This quote recently, I, I think, accurately describes how some of us default to thinking of the will of God. This is how we default to it. It's certainly how I have at times. It says this conventional understanding of God's will defines it as a specific pathway we should follow into the future. God knows what the pathway is, and he has laid it out for us to follow. Our responsibility is to discover this pathway, God's plan for our lives. We must discover which of the many pathways we could follow is the one we should follow, the one God planned for us. If and when we make the right choice, we will receive his favor, fulfill our divine destiny, and succeed in life. If we choose rightly, we will experience his blessing and achieve success and happiness. But if we choose wrongly, we may lose our way, miss God's will for our lives, and remain lost forever in an incomprehensible maze. This understanding, I just read, this understanding of God's will, it conflates the two truths that we see contrasted in Proverbs 16.9, right? It smushes them together. This understanding says that God doesn't want us to be deciders. He wants us to be detectives, desperately seeking to figure out the secret plans of God. But that's not possible. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, the Lord says, I am God. And there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Instead, we ought to rest in the tension of Proverbs 16.9 as we see it in Deuteronomy 29.29 where it says the secret things of God belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. The secret things of God belong to God. It is arrogant to think that you can discover them. We ought to humble ourselves to doing the revealed will of God as he's written it for us in his word. So what is the revealed written will of God for our lives? Here's a couple examples from 1 Thessalonians that help summarize it some. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus 
that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's will is for you to be sanctified, set apart for him. To, to receive the written instructions of the Lord Jesus in the Bible and to do them. To stop loving the things your flesh loves and to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love others as yourself. To be holy as he is holy. To walk humbly with him, doing justice, loving mercy, serving him in all things. 1 Thessalonians goes on in chapter 5. It, it says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you notice something about the revealed will of God? It's, it's much more about how you live and what you love than where you live and what you do. Rejoicing always with unceasing prayer. Giving thanks in all circumstances. If if that's God's will for you, then you could do that in any house. You could do that with any spouse. You could do that on a train. You could do it in the rain. You could do that here or there. You could do that anywhere, right? We could write a whole Dr. Seuss book about the ways you could glorify God with your life on this earth. Oh, the places you'll go. If you would only know God's will for you is to make your own decisions within the boundaries and nature of the life he's given you. This past Monday, my family went berry picking at a blueberry farm locally here. We're a good Midwestern middle class family and we have a stereotype to uphold. So we got in our Honda Odyssey and we drove to the blueberry farm. And I had this sermon in the back of my head. And so on our way, I had this premonition. I, I knew that I was about to hear the voice of God at this berry patch. And sure enough, we arrived. We started walking up to a little shack where the owner of the farm was. And I, I heard it. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, almost word for word, you may pick from any berry bush in my field except the bushes under this net. That's what they said to us. Obviously, they own this place, so I don't need to understand why those bushes are off limits, but they are forbidden, and if I pick of them, I will be banished. You aren't welcome here under your own terms. You abide by the master's terms, or you leave. So I go into the berry patch that I'm allowed to pick from, right? There are hundreds of rows of 10-foot-tall blueberry bushes with thousands of berries. But I start wondering, where do I start? Which berries should I pick? And then I start hearing more voices. It's, it's, a, it's a lady's voice. It's, it's like I'm hearing in multiple places all around me through the bushes. And these ladies, they're calling out with wise instructions. They're kind, but they're also authoritative. It's like they're speaking to little children. And they're speaking different forms of the same proverb. It goes like this. Pick the big blue ones, not the little pink ones. Remember... Don't pick the pink ones. Pick the biggest berries you can find. 
They're the ripe ones. They are sweet. They are the best. All these mothers, lady wisdom all around me, passing on this wisdom to their children. And I'm overhearing it. I start echoing it to my kids as well. So here I am. I, I now know which berries are permissible. I know which berries are pursuable. But I still, I still have thousands of ripe berries to choose from. Imagine me going up to the master of the orchard, the owner of the farm. I say to him, I love you so much. I'm so thankful that you grew this orchard and are allowing me to pick berries in it. Please show me your will for which berries I should pick. He'd look at me strange, like maybe I hadn't heard. He'd say, well, you can pick from any of the bushes in the field except the ones under the net. And I'd say, yes, but I really want to know which, which I should choose that would, that would make you happiest. You might answer, well, the big blue ones are ripe. You'll enjoy them most. You'll probably uh, have the most gratefulness for me if you choose the, the ripe ones. That'll go better for you. And I say, no, I need to know exactly which berry. In fact, I'm not picking any berries until you show me exactly which berry is best. It's, it's silly. It's, it's a little absurd. We have plenty of guidance, right? St. Augustine said, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. God has decided that you get to decide how to use your life, and he has told you how life works best. So love God and do what you want. But don't just do what you want immediately. Proverbs says we should consider our plans before acting on them. Our second point so a wise decision is humbly considerate. Proverbs 13:12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. 13:19 a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. 19:2 desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. So yes, we should do what we want, what we desire, but we might want what is wrong, so we should not be hasty, but give thought to our steps. Proverbs fourteen fifteen says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Fourteen sixteen, one who is wise is cautious, turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Twenty one five, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. 21:29. a wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. Hastiness is a problem in our culture. Impulsivity, we celebrate leaders who move quickly and individuals who know what they want and demand it immediately. Hastiness and impulsivity are almost like virtues in our day and age, but it is wise to slow down and diligently consider our plans before we act upon them. We must make plans because we live in a fallen world with limited resources and have fallen hearts. So how do we do this? I really wanted to give you a silver bullet, a secret weapon for, for surefire decision-making. And you won't believe it, but I found one. I, I read through every word of the book of Proverbs it's not that impressive. But I, I didn't find any flow charts. I didn't find any pro-con lists or step-by-step -step guides or Venn diagrams, although those all could be helpful. They're certainly not sinful. But the secret weapon I found was this. 
counsel, talking to another human who fears the Lord. See this in Proverbs 15:22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 11:14. Where there is no guidance, the people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. So there you go. Talk to other people. And you will find safety and success. But why? Why should we do this? I was on vacation a couple weeks ago with my extended family. I was up early one morning with, with the kids, my kids and, and my nephews. We were eating cereal out on a deck overlooking a small lake. Breakfast was finishing up and my nephew wanted to play Uno, which is a great game. I wanted to play too. So we cleared away the cereal bowls and I came back with a wet rag and I began wiping off the table. Seeing this, my seven-year-old nephew says to me, Uncle Brian, why are you wiping off the table? It's not even wet. He says it pretty brashly. In fact, he's so confident that the table is not wet that I stop what I'm doing and I look down at the table. And sure enough, I see multiple puddles of milk all over this table. It's a mess because kids just can't keep it in the bowl and neither can some adults. The table definitely needs wiped off or these Uno cards are going to be warped and ruined. So what's going on here? My nephew isn't lying to me. He's not intentionally deceiving me. He's not in sin. I, I don't think the main issue is even folly. I think he's just a human being. He has two eyes to see the world from, and he's short. He's seven. So he's sitting low in a chair, and it's the morning, so the sun is low in the sky, and in between his eyes and the sun that he needs to see things is a glass table, right? There's a glare. He cannot see the wet spots on the table from where his eyes are located in proximity to the sun. That is a normal human limitation of perspective. So why does he sound like a fool? He sounds like a fool because he's so sure he's right. It's not foolish or sinful to be wrong, to be limited. It is foolish to assume you're always right. Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. 28, 26, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. 15.12, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. 14.12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. In the end, we must make plans based on what seems best to us. But to fear the Lord is to first humble ourselves and recognize that sometimes what initially seems right to us is wrong. We have blind spots. We don't know what we don't know. The heart can be deceitful, so we should seek counsel. Maybe we don't want to seek counsel because we're so sure that we're right. But this, as we've seen, is foolish. Maybe, maybe we don't like to seek counsel because we don't think it's anyone else's business. The Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Maybe we don't want to seek counsel because we just really want the thing. 
and we're terrified that others might advise us to do something else. But wisdom is more valuable than silver or gold. Maybe we don't want to seek counsel because we might look like a fool. We might have holes poked in our plans that we thought were good. But isn't it better to be seen as a fool in the moment than to be a fool and not seek counsel? A wise person listens to advice. But seeking counsel, it's it's more than just covering up our blind spots. It's about seeking God's guidance. Proverbs mentions a couple times, like in uh, 1633, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but his every decision is from the Lord. Casting lots is random. It's kind of like rolling dice or flipping a coin or drawing straws. And God says in the Bible that he is sovereign even over the randomness of casting lots. And sometimes in the Old Testament, decisions were made by casting lots over specific things, trusting God's guidance of it. But lots are only cast two times in the New Testament. The first is when Jesus is crucified, the the guards, not followers of Jesus, the guards cast lots for his clothing in accordance with Psalm 22. And then the other time is Acts chapter 1, the very beginning of the church. Jesus has risen. He's ascended into heaven. His followers are waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And so without Jesus, he's ascended. And without the Holy Spirit, hasn't come yet, they cast lots to choose Matthias to replace Judas among the 12 apostles. And directly after this, in the book of Acts, as recorded, Acts chapter 2 says, The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit speaking as the Spirit enabled them. So after this moment, when the Holy Spirit fills the follower of Jesus, nobody ever casts lots again when making a decision. No letter in the New Testament tells us to cast cast lots to guide us. There are some instances of of visions and, and voices as the Spirit guides the early church, but these signs are never sought after or prayed for. They are out of the ordinary. We are told to aspire to the higher spiritual gifts in the New Testament, but we are told these are for the building up of the church, not for guidance or direction in specific life situations. This doesn't mean the Spirit is bound. We might from time to time experience hunches or strong inclinations or see a series of open doors that seem more than a coincidence to us. I I certainly have in some major life decisions. These may be from the Spirit, And they can help us to persevere in prayer and planning. That would have been much harder without it. But in the end, we still put our trust in God's revealed ordinary means of seeking his guidance through counsel, not hunches or coincidences. Instead of seeking secret spiritual guidance, what we see mostly in the New Testament is that the spirit-filled followers of Jesus are making decisions by talking to one another. By using their redeemed reason, their transformed minds in accordance with the spirit that dwells within one another. One example of this is Acts chapter 15. There's a dispute about a a big, major, practical, theological issue that will impact everyone's ministry. They aren't sure what to do. And so Acts 15, 6, it says, the apostles and elders met to consider This question, after discussion and debate goes on for a while, verse 22 says, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided 
to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they, they sent with them a letter with the decision they had come to. And in the letter, it said that they came to their decision because, verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Spirit-filled followers of Christ, followers of Christ ordinarily make decisions on specific matters, not by seeking signs, but by seeking counsel. And you can see how this works, right? It is the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So when I'm hanging out with my Christian friends or getting lunch with a pastor or sharing at community group, when I say out loud what I'm thinking about doing, I'm displaying the plans of my heart, fleshed out in my words for others to see. I have the spirit in me. I also have sinful flesh still in me. But when I put the, the plans of my heart in words for others to hear, I'm humbling myself to allow the spirit of God in others to consider and challenge and affirm the plans of my heart. So you might start by just acknowledging that you're thinking about something. As it gets more serious, you might intentionally ask people to give you feedback. Others can help you consider what is providentially possible for you, given your capabilities and opportunities in life. And others can help you see what God says about things in the Bible. So pray for God to give you wisdom and then listen for his guidance through his word and through his spirit-filled church. I don't see anything in Proverbs suggesting that we can have too many counselors. We want an abundance. But we can have too many people we're trying to please. We can have too many bad counselors. If you want wise counselor, Wise counsel. If, if wisdom is the fear of the Lord, then you need to seek counsel from those who fear the Lord and who know you. We can gain knowledge about things through podcasts and articles, but we cannot receive wise counsel from them because wise counsel helps draw out your very heart. Proverbs 20, verse 5, says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. We need wise counselors who know us and who know the scriptures to help us make plans within God's guidance. Most of the time when I seek wise counsel, the person doesn't tell me what to do. They just help me see things more clearly. We should be praying for God to help us see ourselves more clearly, our situation more clearly, and see his revealed will and word more clearly. And we can listen to counsel. Sometimes seeking counsel is really annoying because it slows you down. You'll reach out to someone wise and they'll say, thank you for reaching out. This seems like a really important matter. I will be praying for you. Why don't we grab lunch two weeks from now? It's really frustrating. But it might just guard you from being hasty and impulsive. But others of us should know that it also might help speed you up. Other people know the Bible or parts of the Bible better than you do. We don't have to spend months searching it independently. Or we might be convinced that our heart is impure. And someone, a wise counselor, might say, no, I think you're thinking clearly that you should move ahead. It is not more wise to pray about something in isolation for six months when you could seek spirit-filled counsel over the course of a few weeks. 
I hope you can see how, how generous God is in guiding you through seeking counsel. Decision-making can be hard and overwhelming. And so instead of giving you an individual checklist, he has given you an indwelt church. So talk to people and listen. And we come to our third point. A wise decision is humbly committed. In the end, we must make a choice. Within the realm of what God has made possible, permissible, and pursuable, we should do what seems best to us, what we want to do, what our heart plans. And we should consider and test these plans against the counsel of our spirit-filled church who know the scriptures collectively better than we do personally and offer perspective on our heart, motives that we are probably blind to. But then we must choose. We must pick a door and walk through it trusting God to establish our steps. We should make plans, but not put our trust in our plans. In a fallen world, we cannot play, plan our way out of mess or out of risk or hardship. One of my favorite Proverbs is, is Proverbs 14.4, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. If you want a big fruitful harvest, you're going to need to clean up poop in the barn. That's what this is saying. It's a great proverb for parents. Keep it by the changing table, by the dish, the dishes filling the sink. If you are pursuing a good thing, it will come with messiness in this fallen world. It will also require hard work and preparation. Proverbs 24, 27, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Every choice we make will involve effort and risk. It doesn't mean it's a foolish decision. Wise decisions will still be hard, and they might not work out how we planned, but how God planned. We also cannot fully plan ourselves out of into pure motives. In the end, we must trust God for our motives as well as he weighs our motives. And Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So while we must seek to consider and make wise plans, we should not put our trust in our plans. It is the Lord who establishes our steps. Some of us are impulsive. We assume we're right. It's arrogant to assume your plans will work out because we thought about every angle or prayed about it for a long time. Proverbs 21.30 says that no wisdom... No understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. 27 one says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Some of us who are anxious and indecisive need to hear this as well. It is arrogant to think that everything will go wrong. Whether you are convinced your plans will succeed or fail based on your planning or ability, is arrogantly putting your trust in your strength or lack of it and your ability to know the future. It's arrogant to think that we can make our plans stand by our strength and it is arrogant to think that we can figure out the secret plans of God ahead of time or force him to give us a sign. It's the Lord who establishes your steps. Instead, we must, as 1 Peter 5 says, we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 
casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It is good to be careful, wise, to be cautious, to not be hasty or reckless. But far better than being careful is being cared for by the Lord. This is where true safety is found. In Proverbs 16.3, in this section we're reading, that, that word for commit your plans to the Lord is to roll them on to the Lord, to cast your anxieties on Him. Commit our way to the Lord. He will establish our steps. But of course, to be cared for implies that we must trust the, the sovereign Lord is actually for us, that it is a good thing for our plans to be rolled into the river of God's plans. This is hard for us. I think it's hard in part because I think we're all haunted a little bit by that first and worst decision in the garden. Right? When every tree was available, the hand took from the except that one tree. When 360 doors were available and God would go with you through everyone, the decision was made to stay inward. A wicked counselor made it seem better to be like God, knowing everything. And there was no wise counselor to correct as Adam stood silently by. We are haunted by this. We, we feel it in our very nature to impulsively take what seems right to us, lest we miss out on that opportunity. And we, we see the terrible effects of this decision, the curse, where we are all reaping what was sown. We are terrified of the effects of bad decisions. Missing out or messing up, fear abounds in the heart of man. So how do we turn away from this arrogance and fear within. Proverbs 16, 5 and 6, leading into 9, says that everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. But by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Is it by your good decisions that your bad decisions are atoned for? Is it by your inner strength and thoughtful planning that you turn away from evil decisions in the future? No. It is by the fear of the Lord. Not God, the Lord. Yahweh, the, the covenant name we've been given, translated as the capital Lord. It is not some unknown God who is to be the son of your solar system. It is the Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's who you are to tremble before in reverend awe. And see what he's done as revealed in his word. The, the Lord made a decision to love you before you had made any decisions, good or bad. The Lord made a decision to love you before your parents decided to be fruitful and multiply. The Lord made a decision to love you 
before that impulsive hand heeded wicked counsel and took the fruit. We read it earlier from Ephesians 1. Hear it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of his glory. The Lord has made an elaborate, glorious plan to lavish you with his grace, to redeem you, to adopt you, to unite all things in Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. And we see the fullness of this plan being established when while we were still foolish sinners, Christ died for us. This is the only sign we need. So there are 360 doors before you. And the Lord loves you behind every one of them. There is not a secret door where he loves you more. Look at Jesus on the cross. How could he love you more than this? There is not a secret door where you screw it all up and escape his goodness and mercy. He loves you enough to send his son to die for you. How could he ever let you go? It is the Lord of steadfast love and faithfulness who establishes your steps. Does the fact that you get to make your own decisions feel like a lack of guidance from him? It should feel like lavish goodness and generosity. Why does it feel like a lack of guidance, like he is withholding something? Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25. A wealthy, powerful master entrusts his property to three servants. One gets $5 million, another servant gets $2 million, and the last servant gets $1 million. The first two servants made decisions. They traded the money and doubled it for the master. He was delighted and overflowing with joy and gratitude. He gave him even more. He's lavish. But the third servant did nothing with the money. He gave it back to them. His reason for hiding was that he was afraid. Because his knowledge of the master was that he was a hard man. That the master was a hard man who reaped where he did not sow and gathered where he did not scatter seed. But his knowledge of the master was wrong. The master was powerful for sure. 
He can reap where he doesn't sow. He can seemingly make something out of nothing. He can print his own money. He's a powerful man, but he's not a hard man. He's joyful and generous and trusting his property to his servants. If he lost his money, he could just make more somewhere else. He's wanting to share the wealth and the process with you. Do you know the Lord like this? He is sovereignly powerful, but aboundingly generous. He is the author of life, and he has given you yours. He wants you to use it and make plans with your heart and consider them with your spirit-filled people. Any plans you commit to will, will be risky from your perspective, but commit them to the Lord, and he establishes your steps. You cannot actually screw this up. You might not get what you want, what you think is good, but you will always get what God thinks is good. You cannot become unlovable to a sovereign Lord who makes plans for the Son of God to die for sinners. Even the worst decision we could make, crucifying the Lord, he used for his good purposes to redeem you. So trust him and make plans. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and take risks because everything is a risk to a human. Love God and do what you want. He cares for you. He goes with you. It is not an unknown, unnamed cosmic power that establishes your steps in this life. It is not fate or chance or karma or luck. It is the Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, whose fullness is pleased to dwell and be known in Christ Jesus. And in Christ, the Lord is our Father, in heaven, sovereign authority, loving guide. Imagine a child on Christmas morning. This child has a good and perfect father who loves to give good gifts to his children. This child is abounding with generous gifts and toys. And he comes to his father and says, Dear father, you love me so much. Please tell me which toy should I play with first? Hear the Father's answer. Beloved child, I love you no matter what you do. But which one? Beloved child, I love you no matter what you choose. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We rejoice that you are our Father. Pray you'd press this word on our hearts and help our unbelief. Pray you'd help us to make plans and trust them to you, the Lord who has made our hearts and made our lives. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.